I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Keep an eye out for motorcycles. They're everywhere in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 54, which begins with the underside of the Bigfoot as it scales the rock slide, and it ends with the Rock Riders dropping firebombs on the war rig. Wrapping up the week with us from the podcast, talking about the movie that inspired 1990 The Bronx Warriors, it's Molly Balin from the Escape from New York Minute. Hey, guys. Welcome back here at the end of the week. Thank you for hanging out with us all of these days. It's a delight. I am very, very happy to to come back and, and to have been a part of uh, your Mad Max journey. It's been really, really wonderful. I very much appreciate it. And it's been fun. <laughs> now, real quick, have you ever heard of the movie 1990 The Bronx Warriors? I have not. It is an Italian... I'd say post-apocalyptic exploitation hmm. is a good way to describe it. Yeah, I think so. We watched it for our hiatus movie. And the story, which, stop me if you've heard this one before, revolves around a guy who is hired to extract someone from New York because they have been taken by a <laughs> gang. And this person has to go in and extract that person. Wow, that sounds awfully familiar to something that I'm working on right now. Yeah. <laughs> the kicker, aside from it being Italian made, so all of the actors are terribly dubbed, but it's shot from the perspective of the gang, and the person they've kidnapped isn't the president, it's the heiress of a weapons manufacturing company. Oh. So it's extremely interesting, because the guy that's going in to rescue the heiress is the bad guy. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a flip. That's actually kind of a cool take. Yeah. And this was 1994, you said? So the movie was made in 1982 or 83. Uh-huh. So very close by when Escape from New York came out. And the title was just 1990, The Bronx Warriors, because as with Escape from New York, the Bronx basically was abandoned and descended into gang control so it's not necessarily mm. a prison but it is a no man's land so and interesting isn't there a movie called the bronx warriors well there's a movie called the warriors oh okay which is a lot of gangs that are themed okay that's another great thing about the bronx warriors is that the gangs are themed oh that's fun yes like you've got the feral underground dweller gang you've got the Sports equipment themed gang, the biker <laughs> gang, the Broadway dance themed gang, the kung fu themed gang. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Lots of interesting characters. All of that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's this club footed truck driver who's the, I guess, ally, but more like a patsy of mm. the guy who's being sent into the city to extract the person. And he's real funny to watch. And then there's, of course, the heiress herself, who is just uh, so contradictory in her nature. <laughs> mm, interesting. And the main character's name is Trash. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> 
All of this sounds amazing, actually. I'm going to totally check this out. This seems yeah. like a good... Have you, have you seen it, then, I take it? Oh, yeah. Yes, we reviewed it. Was it this past hiatus? It was this past hiatus. Oh, this we was? Were... That's what you were saying. Okay, yeah, yep. gotcha. Um, so it was just this um, It was just this recently, then, that you guys like checked it out. What made you check this out? Like, What was the, the impetus behind that? It was recommended to us by Curtis Blaze, who is one of our Patreon supporters. He's also the host of the Better Off Dead Minute. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah, I will have to check that out. That's awesome. Yeah, especially because this came out like right after, like literally right after Escape from New York, because I think Escape from New York was like 1981. So they watched it and then took their own take on it. But that seems all of this seems awesome. <laughs> the writer likes to tell this story of going to New York and getting on the subway, missing his stop and then winding up in the Bronx. Mm. And it startled him so much that he wrote a dystopic future movie all about that experience. Damn. <laughs> That's pretty moving. Well, New York is an inspirational city. It apparently is. <laughs> Sometimes it inspires things that aren't so flattering. <laughs> yes. Yes, that too. Speaking of flattering angles on things, we start off minute 54 with an undercarriage view of the Bigfoot as it goes up and over the rocks. But we don't get to hang out with it too long because we have to go back to the war rig because it is getting swarmed by motorcycles. And what I find interesting about this situation here is that Furiosa and Max, they're collected. They're assessing the situation. They're ready to engage. But we pan across the back seat and all of the wives look very ill-prepared for this situation. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love the panic in the back seat. It's magical. Yeah. yeah, I think they are quite naive when it comes to what it was going to take to make this escape. Oh, yeah. And I imagine that Furiosa warned them, like, this is going to be hard. We're going to be chased. We're going to be shot at. We're going to be the flames shooting at you. This is going to be hard and it might not be successful. Not everybody is going to make it. I imagine she prepared them for that. And they seem completely ill-equipped. You don't think she sugarcoated it? Well, she okay, don't... she sugarcoated her deal to the Rock Riders, mm. I believe. Mm -hmm. So maybe she did sugarcoat this arrangement with the wives as well. I could see Furiosa thinking that her plan is so rock solid that she just waved off any concerns. Be like, okay... This is how the plan is going to go. This is everything I've planned for. These are the contingencies that could happen. But I'm Imperator Furiosa, and I've dealt with these people all my life. I'm pretty sure we'll get out of this just fine. Just stay out of sight, get back in the hold, and let me take care of it. Hmm. I just think she's smarter than that. I think that these kids probably got the full meal deal, but I think they're just authentically unprepared. And the reason I say that is because early on in the movie, they pop out of the hold and they're like, we can't breathe down here. And then at that moment, I was like, you know, <laughs> right. You know, I don't know that you fully appreciate the situation. I think you should just tough this shit out yeah. because I don't know if you recall who you're married to air quotes that you can't see. Cause this is an auditory format, but like, <laughs> Uh, I think being down in the hold is the least of your concerns. And we have since seen the hold that they were stuck in. Didn't look that bad. No, no. There was plenty I think there's of college apartments there. that look worse than that hold. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it's fair to make 
the assumption that maybe Furiosa left some things out. But I have a hard time believing Furiosa didn't like sit down and say, look, here's the plan. And just so you know, these are the contingencies if this goes bad. Because it's real, it could go bad. Yeah, like, I've got a solid plan, and I think it's going to go okay. But if it doesn't, these are the things you're going to face. Mm -hmm. Number one, you're going to be in that vegetable hold, and you're going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she did say, out here, everything hurts. Yeah, she did. Yeah, the way she said it to them, that was, was like the first time she'd ever said anything like that to them. Like, this was a revelation. That should have been, like, the first thing she said. Like, hey, guys, I have this idea. And by the way, once you're out there, everything hurts. Yeah. Mm. But I have this idea. These Mm -hmm. women have literally lived a sheltered lifestyle. (laughs) In every sense of the word, because they lived in a hermetically sealed harem vault. (laughs) Their That's air the was filtered. Best. Their water was filtered. They had no idea of exactly how bad the wasteland was. And that's not to say that they should have stayed. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. they're lacking in certain life experience that they are now getting a crash course in. And I feel like they're understandably freaked out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, after having said all of that, I would be just as scared huddled in the backseat as they are. Yeah. I'm not cut out to be a Furiosa or a Max to like battle the forces against me and shoot at people. No, I can't do stuff like that. I would be happy in the hold. Like, okay, I'm just going to hang out back there for days, couple days. I got food. I got air. I'm good. Just you and the collard greens. Yes. I mean, I don't know if people were getting like car sick down there or what. And maybe if you were starting to get car sick, maybe. But like, I agree with you, Julia. Like, there's not much that would really get me out of that cargo hold. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I, you know, I appreciate people wanting to, you know, I appreciate Toast Wine to help out. You know, I get that. Like, bless your heart. But like, yeah, no. I mean, you know, you do make a good point, though, because I feel like also earlier on they were talking about hope and like, oh, but what of the green place? You know, like there's that. There's this naivete that I feel like is also running through with these kids, too. And I think you're right, Rick. I mean, they've been in, you know, they've been in a a sex vault. So when you live in a sex vault for, you know, 10 years or something, then, yeah, you know, maybe you don't really have a great sense of the outside world. So there's that. (laughs) There's only so much you can learn from books. Books (laughs) can take you to magical far off lands and they can impart great knowledge, but I don't think you can necessarily read a book that prepares you for sitting in the backseat of a big rig while crazy motorcycle dudes throw firebombs at you. Yeah, right. I mean, I I might be looking in the wrong library, but... (laughs) You should be looking in the restricted section. Oh, that's what it is. But you'll need a permission slip. (laughs) Right. I don't know. We saw that harem. I think their library was just a pile of books in the corner. I don't think they had space for a restricted section. Well, being a man, the whole thing is a restricted session for you. Well, mm. yeah. Mm. That's why none of the war boys are well read. That's why Nux mm. isn't quoting Tennyson or anything like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's a restriction of intellectual pursuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love this shot, though, 
right after you get the shot of the undercarriage of the Bigfoot and there's this kind of like rolling upward shot. And I don't know if you guys know what the name of this, but it looks like some sort of like exhaust at the top of the war rig. Mm. And then like right above it, this is such a crazy good shot. Right above it, you see the rock riders riding just like the coordination of that is incredible to me. Because, like, that's quite a distance away. And the fact that you can time that well enough for these guys to, like, drive through. I mean, this is just... And frame it so well. Oh, dude. So good. I mean, I take this kind of stuff for granted. But when I really, like, stop and look at this, like, this is, like, a masterful shot. I'm like, this must have taken you all day just to coordinate that, you know? I could also see it being a happy accident. Yeah. That's you have to just too. leave the camera on long enough. You're going to find the good stuff like this. Monkeys typing out Macbeth. Yeah, and it's up to the editor to find that stuff and make good use of it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have praised the editor of this movie just to high heaven, so mm-hmm. why not give her a little bit more credit? Mm-hmm. Well-deserved. Well, I mean, was it like three months or something that she had to wade through just to watch the footage for this before even getting to cut anything because they shot so much of it? I mean, yeah, she's just like... Yeah, I, I mean, uh, a goddess of editing. I mean, this is just a hell of a job. So yeah, a little more praise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut away from the war rig so that we can check up on the Bigfoot. It crests the ridge of the rocks and it starts going down. And I can appreciate how meticulous Joe is being from behind the wheel of the Bigfoot. What surprises me, though, is that he is now behind the wheel of the Bigfoot because when we wrapped on... Wednesday, it wasn't immediately clear that he was behind the wheel, and yet as we crest the top, he is there. So there must have been some sort of switchover that we just didn't see, which really, I don't need to see a Morton Joe hauling himself up into the driver's seat. That's a detail that I don't want to watch of this giant guy dressed in plexiglass armor (laughs) perfing himself (laughs) up into a big monster truck there. I don't need to see him using a war boy as a stepping stool. Although, from the perspective of whoever was driving it, I think it's interesting. So they get the Bigfoot positioned to drive up and over this pile of rocks, and at some point Immortan Joe just comes over and says get out. Yeah. That driver probably wasn't given the opportunity or permission to then hop on the back of the truck. He was left behind. So he probably thought he was going to get to go because he's the driver of the Bigfoot. He probably thought he was going to get to go, continue the adventure, and then he just gets kicked out. Yeah. But once the war party is through that pass, he's going to be glad that he didn't hang around. (laughs) Well, yes. But we know that Furiosa is protective of her vehicle and protects it in a way that ensures that she is the only driver. Hmm. And I don't think that that sentiment is unique to Furiosa. Hmm. We see it in Nux, too. He's protective of his car. He is the driver of that car. Mm-hmm. So the driver of the Bigfoot can be expected to feel the same way. I wonder mm-hmm. if the Bigfoot is that same way, because we keep talking about how the Bigfoot is Rictus's car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think Rictus ever drives it. No, he's always on the back, isn't he? I think, yeah. Yeah. Because the back is the more fun place to be. That's where Mm. all the guns and harpoons and things are. Yeah. Right. So either Rictus never learned to drive or he never had a (laughs) desire to drive. Oh, no. (laughs) This vehicle does feel like a toy, like a child's toy. Yeah. And I imagine that Rictus picked it out himself, that Mm -hmm. he designed it. 
and it's very clearly ridiculous, which is really saying something considering the other vehicles in this fleet. This one is ridiculous in its own way. I feel like this is the only time that this car has been practically used for anything. Yes. (laughs) Oh, and I love the idea of a successful war party returning home in victory. They have the wives. Everybody's going home. It's a great day. And then Rictus telling Corpus about how his Bigfoot saved the day. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. that's actually a really sweet sentiment for Rictus to get to be like, hey, did you hear? It was my truck that saved the wives. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is this is the vehicle in pursuit. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because I can't think of any other... I mean, I understand like the rock riders have, you know, basically like dirt bikes and that makes things very efficient for them to get around in the terrain that they're living in. But I mean, this is like flat, sandy land. Like when do you need like a car that's got five and a half foot tires for anything? You know, this is its grand moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually a little bummed out that we never get to see the Bigfoot do what monster trucks usually do which is drive over other vehicles oh and right crunch Duh. them yeah like that's one of the main reasons you go down to the arena on sunday 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 to see the monster trucks in monster jam mm-hmm. is to see them fly through the air and crush things and do crazy spin moves and all that stuff and we don't get to see the bigfoot necessarily do all the things that we back in the 90s saw bigfoot the actual monster truck do Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Gosh, there's antagonists that we have, you know, even in the beginning. What were the names of the guys that when uh, Furiosa first gets on the road and she goes east, and there's like dudes who come out of nowhere that are just like living out there? Yeah, the With buzzards. Buzzards, thank you. Yeah. It's Obviously, like you don't want to run those guys over. <laughs> well, they're a little spiky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Them spiky boys. Hey, them, if them a spiky. sea urchin is edible, a buzzard is killable. Ooh. Word. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm also not going to run out and eat sea urchin. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you can, like, flip them over or file them down or whatever, but that would have been kind of cool to see one of yeah. these other... I mean, I don't know the... how you eat a sea urchin. I think you flip them over and, and just go at them. them out? Yeah. Like with a grapefruit yeah. spoon? Yeah. <laughs> Pick your teeth with them at the end? Yeah. <laughs> That's very efficient. I like that. Isn't it? Every part of the buffalo, as it were. Yeah. It's Except a it's perfect not a buffalo. food. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say that a sea urchin is the exact opposite of a buffalo, but I'd be hard-pressed to think of what the exact opposite of either of those things would be. So, in the absence of better examples, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. This is such a great shot, too, with this Bigfoot coming up over this uh, this rock hill, and it's like this sped up shot of uh, of a Morton Joe. You know, this close up where he's just like, ah, I'm in hot pursuit, and his hair's in the wind. Like, I love it. It's, it's a great yes, shot. It's epic, and it's like it's not human. The amount of determination in his eyes, and the way his hair is blowing backwards. As a woman with long hair, that's not how it works. Mm-mm. Hair never just blows backwards. Well, plus you've got that material strung up between the pieces of frame that are actually part of the truck, and it almost gives him a dinosaur look, like oh. he's about to spray Newman from Seinfeld in the face and, you know, <laughs> eat him alive type of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dennis right. Nedry is the character in Jurassic Park, but 
I didn't think of the name before I just called him Newman from Seinfeld. What well, it's know? Newman. Yeah. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's, let's, it's Newman. We all know what you're saying. It's Newman. Newman for life. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, there's this weird skin that's uh, this weird velociraptor skin you're talking about uh, right behind a Morton Joe. Yeah. Which I kind of, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know whose skin it is, but I, I almost like looking at him like that looks like human skin. Yeah, has been I'm strung wondering up. what kind of skin it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's possible that it's human skin. I just love how it just blends so well with Joe's aesthetic that it makes mm. him appear that much larger. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I like that idea of making himself appear larger, which is a defensive move. Oh, yeah, in nature. So while he's on the attack, he's still being defensive, mm. which shows an insecurity about him that on the surface certainly is not there. Mm. So Joe and the Bigfoot, they speed off and we reconnect with the war rig. And as we're looking around, there's five rock riders on the right side of the war rig. There's several more on the left. And the way they just use these natural mounds of earth in their attack on the war rig is so cool. Now, obviously, the first one that really comes in, he just swerves in front of the war rig and drops his firebomb, which does this nice little bounce before it actually explodes against the war rig. But I'm watching them throw these bombs and swarm around this vehicle, and I keep thinking, okay, their primary objective is to get the fuel. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they have incendiary weapons means that they cannot attack the connection between the tanker and the fuel pod because they don't want the thing to catch on fire. Mm -hmm. So the only recourse they have is to attack the rig itself. Burn it up. Stop it down. And the big question that I have is if they were to stop the rig, how would they get 3,000 gallons back to wherever they keep their gas? Because unless they have a lot of, like, towing straps and they attach it to, like, three or four motorbikes, it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Right. Well, I expect they have other vehicles. I think the motorcycles are their first line of defense because they are so quick and nimble. But they have a variety of vehicles. To only have one type of defense, one type of offense, is incredibly foolish. You can have a variety to handle different situations. And also, they made the deal for this fuel. Mm. They knew it was going to come in a 3,000-gallon pod. They must have a plan for how to move it. Mm. It would be pretty foolish for their plan to move 3,000 gallons of fuel to be, we've got 1,000 three-gallon gas tins. Like, we'll just take our buckets, (laughs) three gallons at a time, empty it out, fill up the tank, carry it away, put it in a new tank, fill it up, walk away. Like, that would be pretty foolish. Yeah, it would. But I wouldn't put it past them. I think you're also making a really good point here is if there are these outposts, right? There's three major outposts that we know of here. Where do these guys live, right? Because if you're going to, again, haul 3,000 gallons of gasoline someplace like i have a presumption you have an encampment somewhere that's established right because you, if you're making bombs you need like you need a hut or something or a table you need you need to have supplies somewhere so where are these guys living you know that they're able to you know haul this somewhere else or are they just living in the you know the rock faces somehow and they're just expecting to stash it in there some way 
you know, like dudes who live in the caves in Afghanistan or something. You just can't find them unless you know the network. I would like to see the Rock Riders living in a Jedediah the Pilot style cave house <laughs> like we saw in Thunderdome. Yeah. Which is very effective. That's a great place to live. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Totally. Especially if it's covered in graffiti and weird statues. <laughs> totally. Get some some sweet posters up in there. Yeah. <laughs> Reading old magazines of travel and vacation ads and things like that. You know, why not? Yeah. It's funny. So I have a question about the bombs. Do you guys think that this is just something... They just have like a pack of bombs and this is just part of their jam because they're, you know, obviously really coordinated with their their aerial jumps. And this is just kind of part of their offense style that they're like, we're going to suit up with a bunch of bombs today. And and this is just what they do. Oh, I think that's exactly what they did, because every okay. time we've come up against a wasteland tribe, whether that's the Citadel with their thunder sticks or Gastown with their flamers and polecats. Mm and the bullet farm with their, you know, bullets. Every tribe <laughs> seems to have a signature weapon style. And like the buzzards come in with their spiky vehicles and actual spinning circular saws to dismantle vehicles. I think the rock riders that their deal is that, okay, they swarm vehicles, jump around and over them mm -hmm. and just toss bombs until the vehicle stops moving. Mm, gotcha. And I love that everybody has their signature style that they get to call their own. And I think it really helps distinguish between the different groups of people that we meet. And once you break it down, it's really just like the different gangs in 1990s, the Bronx Warriors. Theirs are just more obvious what their differences are. They're more flamboyant. Yeah. Here, they're a little bit more subtle. But every tribe has their own theme that differentiates them from the other tribes. What a shame that we don't run into a tribe that wears silver leotards and instead of walking around, they kickball change everywhere they go. That really is a shame. <laughs> that, that was such a ridiculous scene in that movie, and I'm still not quite sure what to think of it. Honestly, I don't remember what I thought about it when we recorded the hiatus, but in hindsight, it was delightful, although I'm glad it was short-lived. Yeah. There's something about the rest of this minute that goes pretty well unnoticed. Hmm. It's Eng Herod. There's a moment, I can't place it now, but it's definitely in this minute where we get a view of the wives and yeah, they're looking scared and most of them are looking out and around. But Eng Herod looks scared, but she's she's got a bit of a thousand yard stare like down and to the side. She's not looking out the windows. Hmm. She's scared for herself, not yeah. for hmm. what's happening outside. It's right around second 50. Thank you. Because that shot starts with a close up on Toast. And we get mm -hmm. kind of a rack focus effect where Toast is worried, Capable is freaking out, Cheeto seems to be completely shutting down, and the Dag is characteristically glancing around. But yeah, and Herod, like you said, very much, I've led my sisters out of safety into this situation. Mm. What have I done? And I think... It's going to come into play in minute 55, I believe. I'm not sure if it's 55 or it's a little bit beyond, but we already know what's wrong with her, I think. I can't remember watching the whole movie together. I can't remember if this look, if this expression is connected to the contraction she felt oh. earlier. Mm. I don't remember, but I believe that continues on in the next few minutes. Mm. Right. I think I haven't watched ahead. Between now and minute 
57, I think, is the one where Angherid really puts herself on the line. But I think she's starting to realize just how little she's able to contribute. And it's really going to come to a head in minute 56 when Furiosa puts her on the spot to do something. That Angherid is sitting here and she's like, we're getting swarmed, we're being attacked. Max and Furiosa are being put in this situation because of us. What can I do to help this situation? But she doesn't have the ability to necessarily contribute. Hmm. And I think these thoughts are just swirling in her head at this point. I appreciate that her emotions are different than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. Everybody Mm -hmm. else feels very predictable, Mm. especially based on their personalities that we've learned about them so far. And and Herod is different. Yeah, I think they've uh, they've made comment about that a few times mm-hmm. about you know her. I mean, I, I don't know that there's like a leader. I mean, I kind of see these these ladies as meerkats in a way that they're all kind of like huddled up together, mm-hmm. and they're very much like a kind of like a universal group. They're all you know like a, a Greek chorus in a really you know way where you don't have much differentiation. But I think that they've made Ang- Angherid? Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've made her somebody who who was like a, a point of inspiration, you know, above and beyond. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the, the, the slight difference. And I think you're right. I think some of this is, yeah, is, is it's hitting her that she's inspired some of these choices in the group. I appreciate you bringing up the Greek chorus because we like to compare the wives to figures from folklore and other stories. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've called them the Greek chorus yet, but it does make me think of Disney's Hercules Mm. and how Mm -hmm. we never get a chance to see the wives stand up and start telling the epic story of some great hero, like launching into the opening song from the Hercules movie or something. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It isn't, it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison because you, you do have this kind of like, universal collective voice that gives rise to a story. But I I see them as being, you know, similar in the sense that there's like a, a mythic quality and that there's a universal story that they represent, mm. you know, even though they have, I think you don't get a sense of what their individual stories are with Joe, you know, we don't know what their, you know, individual traumas are with him. We get very little sense of personality. They're almost like a collective they're like a, a nubile Borg collective that happens to exist in the wasteland. <laughs> oh, it's great. Equally great is all the stunts that we're seeing here at the mm. tail end of this minute. Like the last 10 seconds of this minute is just rock riders riding around, jumping up over the war rig and going back to the whole behind the scenes thing. Basically when they hired these guys on, they took all of the stunts that they were comfortable with doing arena shows and then just incorporated those into the shots that they were doing for the movie. And you can't see them because they were cleverly edited out and replaced with landscape, but they've got these big metal ramps that they're driving up and off of in order to get such incredible height over the vehicles. And while some other movies would alter the altitude of these jumps with computers. All of these jumps are 100% legit because these guys are pros. This is what they do. So last 10 seconds of this minute, a whole bunch of jumping. We get to see a lot more jumping when we come back next week. But unfortunately, Molly, you will not be joining us any further because that's not how our 
guest spots go, but <laughs> it has been excellent having you all this week. Thank you guys so much. As always, you just, and of course, as, as an audience member, you don't ever get to see the extreme professionalism in pre-registration packets with these guys, but <laughs> these guys are really quite elite with their organization. And obviously you're telling there's a very professional product at the end of this, but uh, it does extend to the entirety of the process. So uh, I feel very, very grateful to you guys. And this was the first podcast I ever did was with you guys. And so you will always have uh, a big place in my heart. And I'm, I'm always just so grateful to be on your show when I have such a good time. And uh, you guys have picked hell of a good content. So thank you so much. It's, it's an honor as always. And one last time, please share with our listeners where they can hear more of your stuff. Well, I've got two podcasts, one uh, that got finished up uh, about a year ago, which is called Cabin in a Minute Cast, where we take uh, Cabin in the Woods one minute at a time. And that's up at cabinminutecast.com. Um, you can also find that through iTunes and all the regular podcatchers. Um, currently on Escape from New York Minute, uh, which is produced by Brad Mendenhall, which you guys will know from Cosmic Geppetto. And uh, Flash Gordon and my co-host is Eric Deutsch, who's also from Flash Gordon, and uh, we're on Growler Media. And you can also follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod, and uh, we're on Facebook and Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute uh, podcast. So uh, if you enjoy following people on social media, you can find us there. And if you're a big fan of sick motorcycle jumps, you get to see Chris Hemsworth, famed Australian and also guy who plays Thor, do a sweet motorcycle jump in Cabin in the Woods. So there's a little bit of crossover there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> On a dirt bike. Yes. This is just the, the synchronicity. Thank you for pointing that out, Rick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you, you need more uh, Aussie motocross jumping action, come on over to Kevin Minute Cast. <laughs> As for us, we will be back on Monday where Max and Furiosa start fighting back against the Rock Riders. It took her all week, but Furiosa is going to have that shotgun all loaded and ready to go. We get to see what the rig's cowcatcher is good for, and Furiosa is also going to have the opportunity to start picking off dudes with that long rifle of hers. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 54 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.